Hey, good morning. We're talking about money this morning, and we're already coming to you from the dark side of the moon. I just found all my baby boomers. Was there ever a song that described the world's attitude toward money better than that Pink Floyd song, Money? I remember when I was in high school, the first time I ever heard it, I thought, wow, that is, that is how people think. But let me ask you a question. When it comes to money, what are the guiding principles that you have? What are the things that help you handle Money. Today, we're in, a, we're in a series, as you know, called Capitalize, and it's all about beginning again, uh, using the resource that you have. And, 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 and I titled, if I had a title for the message today, I would call it Enough Money, because I think one of the issues that we have with life is we tend to think we don't have enough money, and yet we are the richest people who ever lived in the history of the world. But I, I, say, that, I say that sympathetically, because I, I understand that we are in what some have called the worst economy since the Great Depression. And here in Wichita, we have felt it personally. You know, we have a, we've always had a fairly strong economy that's been able to survive these uh, downward trends because the economy has sort of shifted back and forth here through the years. But for the first time, at least that I can recall, we, we're really feeling the pinch here even locally with uh, high unemployment. And, and it could be that it's hit you personally. As someone said, a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose your job. And it could be that you're in a depression. So I'm sympathetic with the fact that you could be looking at life wondering if you have enough money. And some of us could actually be at the place where we're thinking we're going to have to begin our lives over again in a financial way. Perhaps because you've had a downturn, maybe you've gone through a divorce, or it could be that your career has kind of dried up and blown away. Maybe it's gone to India or China or Mexico, some of your, your, the jobs that you used to be doing here in the United States. So you could be asking yourself, how am I going to have enough money, enough money? Well, you can sort of live your life in, according to two different philosophies, and you have to choose which one you want to. You can either go with what we just heard, the philosophy of the of, of Floyd's song, Money, or you can operate according to God's principles. So today what I'd like to do, and this is a brief talk, I just want to walk you through what I believe God has to say about money, and then you can sort of deal with it on your own terms and, and see how it relates to your specific situation. But I will tell you this, I am convinced that if you and I will do the things that we're going to talk about today, we will have enough money. And that's not because I think that, it's because God has promised it to us. So if the concept of enough money is attractive to you, I want to encourage you to listen for about the next 20 minutes. And the first thing I want to give to you is just a couple of realities about money that the Bible gives us. And here's the first one, the first reality. No matter how much you pile up, it all goes back in the box when you die. You realize that? Because we tend to evaluate people according to how much money they have. But here's the deal. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, both billionaires, when they die, they won't even own the suit they're buried in. Do you realize that? And they're going to face God on an equal plane to anybody else. 
Many years ago, I had a, a pastor friend tell me about a situation that happened with him. He was invited by a coroner in his church to come into really a terrible place where they have all the bodies laid out on slabs. And, and when the pastor walked in, there were two men, both elderly, looking pretty much identical, lying on you know, two different slabs. And so the guy asked the pastor if he knew who the guys were and saw their faces. And he said, no, I have no idea. And he said, he pointed to one and said, that guy's the wealthiest guy in the, in the area. He had millions of dollars. And he pointed to the other guy and he said, they found him on the streets with no identification. He's a street person. Nobody knows who he was. And the minister said, it was so interesting how similar they looked under the white sheet. Well, guys, could I just say to all of us, no matter how much you pile up, when, when you and I get ready to leave this life, we're not going to take any of it with us. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. One translation adds a word to that. It said, we didn't bring anything with us when we came, and it's certain we won't carry anything with us when we go. I know this is corny. Ministers have been saying it for years, but it's true. Hearses don't carry, you know, hearses don't pull U-Hauls behind them, Okay. Because when you pass, when you leave this life, either with death or when Jesus comes back, you and I are going to face God, and it will not matter how much money we amassed or how little we amassed in this life. You know, today, we Americans tend to feel like, you know, God must be an American, (laughs) that we are very valuable because we're Americans. Do you realize that you have brothers and sisters in Christ in third world countries today who have no idea what they're going to eat today? They have no idea how they're going to clothe their children. But I assure you that you and I are not worth a penny more to God than they are. I was watching, all of us, I guess, have been just devastated by what's happened in Haiti. And, and like you, I guess, I've been watching a lot of the coverage as the, as the people there have been, their stories have been told and they've been interviewed. But one woman's story just gripped me a few, few days ago. I saw her on, on CNN. And the anchor asked her what her situation was. She was about to board a bus that would take her out of her city to the country where she could survive, but she had nothing except just a little bag with her. And she had lost her two children, a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And with nothing left in the world, the place where she worked had been completely devastated. And, and, and the anchor asked her why she wasn't crying. And she said, well, I cried the first day. But she said, after that, I've had to get on. He said, well, did you get to bury your children? She said, no, and this was just heartbreaking. She said, you know how it is down there. She said, I just had to throw them away. And then she said something that just captured my attention. She said, what I have left to hold on to is Psalm 46. And I thought, that's my sister in Christ. I was telling Mary Alice the story a few minutes before I walked on stage. Could you, would you let me get off topic just a moment? I'll get right back on, I promise. <laughs> Mary Alice said, what does Psalm 46 say? And I couldn't remember. There are 150 psalms. You know, I couldn't remember for, for a moment what Psalm 46 said. You want to hear what Psalm 46 says? God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. I'm just telling you here today, you and I are not worth more because we're Americans. But here's the thing. You didn't bring anything with you when you came into this life. You won't take anything with you when you go. What matters is your, your ability to follow Christ and to put faith in him, which we talked about last week. So I just want to take us off this idea that your value is, a t- is tied to how much money you make. See, that concept could, could whip you in two different ways. Number one, you can make a whole lot of money and feel that you're very valuable, maybe more valuable than other people because you have more money. And, and clearly we've already seen that's wrong. 
On the other hand, you could feel insecure because you don't think you're making as much money as you should make. Other people who went to college with you, maybe dumber than you were, are, are making more money. And you're feeling, man, I must be a loser because I don't make as much money as he made. See, it's not that important because you didn't bring anything with you and you're not going to take anything with you when you leave. The second, rea- the second reality that I want to share with you this morning is the way we handle money is the leading indicator of who we really are. This is an important concept because I think a lot of us compartmentalize and we think, well, this is who I am as a person and this is how I spend my money and they're not related. Listen to what God says. For where your treasure is, this is in Luke 12, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God says, and by the way, heart there, you, you clearly understand, heart's not the pump in your chest. Heart was a way of expressing your personhood, your inner person, the person you really are on the inside. And God is saying, listen, your, your money and the person you really are are going to be in the same place. If you want to know where your money is, then look at who you are. If you want to know who you are, look at where your money is, because your personhood and your money are going to be in the same place. Now, why, why do I use the word indicator? Well, because your personhood is an intangible thing. If you went to the doctor and said, doctor, I'm not happy with my personality. Would you help me work on my personality? She or he would would recommend you to another kind of doctor. Because your personhood is intangible. It's invisible. Money, on the other hand, is tangible. Your personhood is immeasurable. You can't measure your personhood, but you can measure your money. But here's the big one. You can fake your personhood, but money leaves the trail. I know some of you are accountants, or some of you, you work in accounting-type jobs, and you know that. I mean, money always leaves a trail. That's why in the Watergate times, what, what, what expression did we learn to use? Follow the money. Money leaves a trail. You can fake the person that you are, but you can't fake money. Uh, Billy Graham said it this way. I think he had it right. He said, your checkbook is a theological document, because your checkbook will tell you who you are. So with those two realities this morning, the first one, we didn't bring any with us when we came. We're not taking any with us when we go. And, and how we use money is an indicator of who we really are as a person. With those two realities, let me take you through very quickly five things, five principles, five truths, five things that work that God has to tell us about money and so about handling money. And, and could I just say one more time, I really do think as Americans, we struggle with this because we have so much money. We have more than any other culture in history. And yet, I think as a culture, we don't handle money very well. I want to talk to you about how to handle money so that you will always have enough. Okay? Here is how to have enough money. The first one that I want to give to you is this. Know the facts. It's very important to know what you have coming in. There are people that I talk to all the time that are up against it financially, and they're always looking for a win. Not, maybe not always, but oftentimes they're looking for a windfall. They buy lottery tickets just hoping and dreaming that maybe they'll hit it big. Um, or or they'll, they'll, they'll dream about somebody leaving them a lot of money, that somehow, somewhere, their ship is going to come in and big money is going to come from no place. And I do think that people sometimes dream in that fashion, and it anesthetizes them to the reality of their situation. Here's where it starts. Know what you're dealing with when it comes to your personal finances. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 23 gives us this. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever. Now, in those days, they didn't have currency like you and I have currency. They had herds and flocks. That's how they measured their wealth. 
And, and so the writer was saying, listen, you need to know what you have. You need to know the state of your flocks. Now, for some of you here today, you do this very well. So when I start asking these questions, you're going to just check, 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 check. It's all going to be easy for you. But can I ask you a question? Do you know what your take-home pay is every week? You say, well, Mark, my, my, my job fluctuates. Okay, do you know what the averages are, and do you, know, you, do you know how the year typically works for you? But do you know what your take-home pay is each week? Do you know what your take-home pay is each month? If you, had to look at, if you had to think about your month's bills right now, would you know what those bills are? If you have a mortgage payment, do you know what percentage or what amount goes to principal each month? If you're making payments on credit cards, tell me the month when you'll be paid off. Now, you don't need to answer those questions for me, but you do need to answer them for yourself. Because it could be you're sitting out there saying, yeah, check, 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 Mark. I know all those things. I, 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 we have a monthly, you know, my wife and I have a weekly budget meeting, and we go over these things. I want to talk to, and I know that a lot of singles come to New Spring, but for a moment, I just want to talk to married people, and, and singles too, because I think this is helpful for all of us in life, but especially married couples. I've counseled for years, and I've got to tell you something. It seems to me the number one thing that couples fight over is money. I, I, I talk to couples that are getting a divorce, and I ask them, tell me, you know, tell me the evolution of how you got to where you are. And, and almost, well, not always, but almost always, they will tell me about fighting over money. Now, I've tried to do post-mortems on those conversations a few times, and here's what I've learned. Most of the time, when couples fight over money, they're not fighting over facts. They're fighting over surprises. Well, I thought we had this coming in. I thought this was our monthly bills. I thought, I thought, I thought, and then surprise. That is why God says, no. If you know the state of your affairs, you will deal with far fewer surprises. He didn't say, look up the state of your flocks. You know, some people say, well, I have to look it up in my books. God says, listen, no, this is so important. You should, if you can't, if you should memorize the state of where you are financially. God is saying, know where you are. The second thing that we see is it's important to save. In other words, to keep some back, to hold some of your income back, to put it aside for when difficult times come. Um, um, this is almost lost on Americans as well, too. In Genesis chapter 41, we, we're looking at the story of Joseph. And if you were here for the Thrive series, I showed you how that Joseph, even though he came into Egypt as a slave, God elevated him to the place of governor. And he came to power because he had a plan for difficult times. Let me read it to you in Genesis 41, verse 35. Joseph tells Pharaoh, Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead, and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it there so there will be food in the cities. That way, there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, the famine will destroy the land. It's so important to save. I think, I, I was just talking to my dad this morning on the phone, and I saw him last night in service. And I, 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 my dad never made a lot of money, but my dad and mom always saved a lot. And they didn't have, and I'll, they didn't go into what I'm going to talk about in just a moment. They didn't go into a lot of debt. But it's amazing to me how that throughout the years, even with a relatively small income, my parents have done very well because of this thing called saving. 
So it's very important to hold some back. And so could I ask you today, you don't need to answer this for me, you need to answer it for yourself. Is saving a, a habit in your life? The third one is close the door of waste. We're probably the most wasteful culture in the history of the world. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in John chapter 6, verse 12, and this was right after Jesus had just taken a boy's sack lunch and he fed 20,000 people. Jesus said, after everyone, the Bible says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. I was thinking about this as I was giving the talk last night. If there ever was a time to waste, it would have been right then because Jesus had just done a miracle. I mean, he could have said to the disciples, hey, don't worry about cleaning up the waste. I just spoke it into existence anyway. I could speak it some more into if I need to. But he was giving us a principle. Nothing should be wasted. Is that possible that we're wasting things in our life? I mean, here's the thing. If we're buying things we don't need, that's a waste. If we're buying things that we don't really take seriously, and, and we, you know, in so much of what we buy today, we consider as disposable, and we're just going to buy the next product next year because it's got a few more features that we really don't need. Isn't that wasteful? So Jesus is teaching us, listen, take what you have and use it and don't waste. Number four, deal with debt. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, the Bible says, just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And that's really true, isn't it? I mean, for one thing, look at our nation today. And I don't want to get on a soapbox about America. I'm, I'm, I'm not a part of either party. I'm not a real political animal in that sense. But aren't you concerned about the way that we're, we're functioning as a country? When you think about how much debt we're incurring, I was reading an article today. We have borrowed so much from the Chinese, it's actually beginning to affect our foreign policy to how we can function as a country and how China is behaving toward us and other nations in the world. You know why? Very quietly, we're becoming a servant to the lender. And that's what Scripture teaches. When you and I take on debt, and especially unreasonable debt, we actually, we begin to put ourselves in the role of a servant to that person who has loaned us the money. Now, obviously, there are some places where it's, it's fine to borrow money. I mean, very few of us can just plunk down the cost of a house. So we have a mortgage, but it's, it's a secured debt. So that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's a good deal and it's done, done right. And certainly, most of us, for an automobile, we're going to incur some debt. Hopefully, it's not unwise and we're not upside down. But that, again, is secured debt. And for many of us, we had to borrow money to go to college. But even we should be careful with that. And could I just say something while I'm really being controversial today? <laughs> if you're borrowing money to go to college, go to class. <laughs> I ran into people who borrowed huge fortunes. They should have three PhDs if you were looking at what it would cost. And, you know, and they've got you know, two years behind them. And so, well, I tried this and I tried that. Listen, if you're borrowing money, you by George better know what it is you're doing in college. So all I'm saying is, yeah, there's some reasonable debt. And I don't want to give you the wrong impression. There are times when debt is appropriate. But plunking down plastic and paying minimum payments is not reasonable ever. You know, all of us need to think about that. I mean, if you're using plastic and, and you're just, you know, just making random payments, think about this. It's going to take forever to pay it off, and then look at the interest rate associated with that. 
and again, while I'm, again, I know I'm being controversial today, and I promise I'll finish this message real quick because this is uncomfortable for me as it is for you, I'm sure. One thing I've discovered by mishandling plastic, you know, as long as I'm operating by cash or if I'm using a debit card and it's dinging my, my savings account, I'm feeling it, right? I mean, you feel something leave you. If it's coming out of your checking account. The problem with a credit card is you plunk down the plastic and you don't feel it leaving you. Because you look at your, credit, your, your, your uh, checking account and it's just right where it was. And you're saying, that didn't hurt very much, but it will. Because someday it will hit your checking account for not only the, the, the amount that you paid, but all the wretched interest on top of it. So for many of us here today, if we were going to have enough money, we would have to look seriously at where we are regarding debt. And and could I say this to you? Because I understand what it's like to be in a spot where you're thinking, wow, how am I ever going to get back to where I need to be? Listen, here's the principle, and I'm sorry I'm giving it to you early, but I want to give it to you right now. If you will do what's right, God will help you. Do you believe that? God wants to help you. God wants to help you. But I think sometimes we American Christians, we're so accustomed to someone coming along and bailing us out that we have this feeling, well, if I have this great need, if I'm really desperate here and I've just charged myself way in over my head and i got all this debt that's unreasonable, surely God will look down from heaven and have pity on me because I'm in such a tough situation. I do believe God does have pity for you, but what he's concerned about is have we learned anything. And I think when we take those first steps toward financial stewardship, God comes along and he will help you and bless you. You know, the old saying is, and this is not from the Bible, but it almost might as well be, you know, if you're digging deeper, quit, you know, quit digging. Put the shovel away. And so if you're in trouble here with the use of credit cards, maybe you can't pay everything off right now, but at least you can stop using the plastic. The whole issue with, with unreasonable debt is two things. It's materialism coming together with impatience. With impatience. Okay, let's move on. Here's the fifth concept from from God about money, and that is worship. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, Honor God with everything you own. Give him, look at this, the first and the best. Think about that for a moment. Honor God. Now, the word honor there means to value. I I ask this question of myself before I ask it of you. If God were to look at the way I use my money, would he feel valued? Here's what Scripture says. To honor him with the first and with the best. My dad, I can remember when I was a little boy, my dad used to preach a message about this topic, and he used to talk about eating the chicken and giving God the bones. (laughs) His point was a lot of times we take the best for ourselves, and then if we have anything left over, we give it to God. Do you believe God feels valued when we do that? I didn't read you the whole verse, did I? But if I'd stopped right there, it would have still been okay, wouldn't it? Because after all, if the question was, why should I honor God with the first and the best? 
For me, the answer would come back because God loves me so much that he put his son on a cross. For six hours, Jesus hung between heaven and earth with nails in his hands and his feet, buying my eternal forgiveness so that I could have a relationship with God free of charge. And so that my name could be written down in heaven and I could live forever with God and have all my sins forgiven. And no matter what happens, I'm in a perfect relationship with God. Jesus did that for me. God loved me so much, John 3.16 says, he gave his one and only son for me. On top of that, anytime I want to talk to him, I can. I can talk to him in the middle of the night. I don't have to wait to get an appointment. I can talk to God anytime. He answers my prayer. He loves me. He's there in my life. So if God came along and said, hey, Mark, when it comes to your finances, show me I'm valuable with your first and your best. Hey, I could get it. Makes all the sense in the world. But God has a thing about him. He won't ever let himself be in anybody's debt. Let me read the whole verse to you. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. That's cool, isn't it? God is saying if you honor him with your first and your best, God will bring to you a life where you will have enough. Enough. I knew this message was going to pull against us a little bit because it pulls against me. But I believe what the Bible says, and I've watched it true in my life, that if you will take these five things that we talked about today, and, and here's the deal. I understand very well how life works. I know that a lot of us are so far in that we don't know how we're going to get back out. But here's all I'm challenging you to do. If you could take these five things today and just make one step toward doing the right thing, Why don't you see what God does in your life? What I've discovered is this. When I start taking fiscally responsible steps of stewardship, God begins to bring financial blessings into my life that seemingly come out of nowhere. When I'm exercising bad judgment, God withholds the blessing, which is kind of ironic because I think I need it most then. But if I'm exercising bad judgment, God will withhold blessing because after all, why should he pour money down a rat hole? I mean, if I'm not exercising wide stewardship, why should God help me? But I noticed that when I started being wise, God starts blessing and stuff starts coming from nowhere. Hey, don't do this because I say you should do it. I would encourage you to do it because this is in God's word. God never lies. May God bless you and may God help you and me as we are wise stewards. Remember, we didn't bring anything with us. We're not carrying out anything when we leave. It's just just about using wisely the resources that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word. And I, I ask you to help me and every one of us in here today that we will employ wise stewardship strategies so that we'll always have enough. You've promised us if we will do these things, you will bless us. And I ask help for those, special help, Father, because you know some of, some of the people listening to my voice today, either here in this room or watching on live stream or television, God, you know there are a lot of people really suffering through difficult times. So I pray, Father, that you would encourage them by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray with me for just a few more seconds. A few moments ago, I said that if God never blessed us, He's been so good to us that we, he would still, still deserve our best. When I said God's been good to us, what I meant was that he has made a way for us to have an everlasting relationship with him.
Jesus died to pay for your sins. He rose from the grave proving that he is God. And any man, any woman, any boy, girl, teen, who puts confidence in Jesus, places their trust in him, receives God's gift of eternal life. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. It's a gift. If you've, if you've never put your confidence in Jesus, and if you're not sure today that you would go to heaven if death were to come, or Jesus were to come, I want you to make that decision today. Would you pray with me and invite Jesus to come into your life? I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but they are words that call out to God and express faith. And I'll pray them slowly so that you can sort of think about them. But if you're ready to make the most important step you've ever made in your life, I'm going to pray with you, and then you can, you can pray with me. Okay? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died in my place to pay for my sin. I believe you arose from the grave. I put my confidence in you, Jesus. I trust you and you alone to save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, you got a worship card when you came in. I have a little gift for you. looks like this. It's a vinyl packet with some DVDs and great information to help you make your first steps in following Jesus free. It will not cost you anything. If you just pray with me, if you would just take your card, put your name and address on there. You can drop it in the offering bag in a minute when it comes by if you wish. And I'll mail it to you. If you want to get it today, because the weather, we're not quite as crowded as normal, so you might have a little more time. I'm going to point right behind the cameras out into the lobby. There's two, two areas called guest services and New Spring Store. Either one of those. You can just bring the card back and say, hey, I pray with Mark. They won't bother you or anything. Just say, I pray with Mark, and you can take this with you today. One more weekend of Capitalize, then we start a huge new series. I'm not going to say it's the biggest one I've ever done, but it is. So... Uh, I want to encourage you to be thinking about that, but one more week of Capitalize this next week. Um, this week, we, we also have something very special in the life of, of New Spring Church. By the way, I'll ask the ushers to come on down and receive the offering. While they're coming, um, I want to tell you we have something very special in our, in our week at New Spring. First Wednesday is this Wednesday, first Wednesday of every month. We have a special worship service here at the church. Uh, we have great worship, and then we receive communion with each other, and then I bring a brief talk. And that's only about an hour on Wednesday evening, and you'll see the schedule coming up for that. So I would encourage you to attend. And then after that, there's kind of another cool thing called New Spring Connect. And it's put on by the Connection Group Ministry here at New Spring. And for those of you who would just like to meet other New Springers, we would encourage you to come for that. It's kind of a real reception. You'll meet some other New Springers. And then it's also an opportunity to explore the possibility of becoming part of a connection group. And we would encourage you to do that. It is in 252 Theater, which is right behind me, where the elementary school, uh, elementary school kids are. Rick said this is the time for the adults to get to enjoy the, the cool environment. So that's coming this Wednesday night. Um, you, can, you can meet other new springers. And then also there's going to be an announcement about a great Valentine opportunity for those of you who might want to take someone special on a date. So that's this Wednesday after first Wednesday. God bless and thanks for being here.